This is On the Line, Keystone in Nebraska, a podcast from NET News, Nebraska's NPR and PBS station. We're following the final hearing on the Keystone XL oil pipeline and bringing you a new episode each day detailing the arguments. Today is Monday, August 7th, the first day of this week-long hearing being put on by the Nebraska Public Service Commission. The commission will decide whether to approve the route of the pipeline in Nebraska. The project is already approved at the federal level, so this five-member commission could very well decide the fate of this controversial pipeline. I'm NET News reporter Grant Gerlach here with Bill Kelly. He's a reporter with NET News. Good evening. And here's Fred Knapp. He's an NET News reporter, too. Pleasure to be here. And he was in the room today as the hearing got started. Um, first, I was wondering if we could set the scene a little bit, and let's actually start with Sunday. There was a march in Lincoln put on by pipeline opponents. Uh, both of you spent some time there. What was that like, Bill? It was a, it was a pretty enthusiastic march. I they uh, estimated there were about six hundred people on hand. Uh, the pro pipeline folks said initially that that they expected about two hundred. Um, I've I've got to tell you, it was by the standards of other capital marches I've seen. I thought it was quite a bit smaller than things like the women's march, uh, the the uh, uh, equal rights for marriage. March, uh, a lot of pro-life events that have been down there. Okay, uh, that, that it was it was quite a bit smaller, but uh, those who were there, it was it was quite obvious that that it was a hundred percent opposition to the pipeline, obviously. And and I think what impressed me the most was the amount of uh, Native American participation there. That mm. they all of the tribes, uh, not only in Nebraska, but a number of them throughout the region were participating because this has become a, a really important issue for the Native American community. Uh, other takeaways, Fred, the security situation didn't get out of hand as the police feared? No, there was, uh, there was no disruption. Um, it was uh, an extremely well-behaved crowd and uh, uh, you know, my biggest my biggest impressions were of the horses that uh, the Native American had uh, to uh, lead the march, and the drones that were buzzing around oh, all geez. over. Okay, them. that Fortun- made me crazy. Fortunately, <laughs> they did not intersect. They were they were buzzing the entire time. So expect some good drone footage of that march soon. Um, well, the actual real hearing started today, and it's happening at the Cornhusker Hotel downtown. Uh, what's the scene like there, Fred? I guess it's just a it's a big square ballroom. Yeah, it's a big ballroom that is uh, largely empty. Um, the uh, interveners are there. Those are the people directly affected by what's going on with the pipeline and the and the company. Um, and uh, there were no protesters, and uh, although there were plenty of opponents, and um, uh, there were uh, no drones. The most exciting thing that happened during the time was somebody tried to come in the back door whistling the Woody Woodpecker song, and oh, really? they, they went away after a while. <laughs> um, and, and the commissioners are up there on a stage uh, with Judge Flowers, and and she's been kind of managing the proceedings. Right, right. She's uh, making a lot of rulings about what uh, when the lawyers object about a, a line of questioning, she'll make a ruling. And there have been a lot of objections um, here on the first day, and part of that's because the Public Service Commission narrowed the scope of the arguments that can be heard in the first place. Bill, they decided this before the hearing got started. Right. Judge Flowers, uh, and this wasn't entirely surprising, uh, put some 
fairly significant restrictions on what could be heard uh, based on state law. And the Siting the, the Act, uh, that's S-I-T-I-N-G, which is, uh, talks about where pipelines uh, are, how they are regulated in the state of Nebraska, it prohibits the commission from considering safety considerations, including the risk of spills and leaks. Well, that's a, that's a major topic for the pipeline opponents and, and really uh, keeps a lot of the arguments in, in the box. Um, but it's also by state law. So uh, what uh, uh, Council Domina was doing today was trying to push that as far as he could and see what he could get away with in introducing elements of uh, what would happen if there were environmental issues once the pipeline is, is in the ground. They could talk about what happens during construction if there are environmental problems actually when the pipeline is being put in. Once there's uh, petroleum in the pipeline, they can't address that during this hearing. So day one here was uh, taken up by uh, cross-testimony of witnesses put up by TransCanada. These are their expert witnesses, and uh, each one of them got a healthy dose of questioning from Dave Domina, who was representing the landowners. So, Fred, if that ruling narrowed the line of questioning he was able to put forth, did he still try to get into those safety or questions of economic viability, things like that, that he wasn't necessarily supposed to? Right. Uh, and at one point, he was talking to uh, one of the TransCanada executives about the uh, the PIGS, uh, which stands for... Uh, Pipeline pipe. inspection gauges. Yes. The, these are the devices that they run through the pipe to uh, to test it. And, uh, and at that point, the questioning was cut off because Judge Flowers came to the conclusion that that was getting into the safety aspect of things. And that happened multiple times. Uh, here we have a clip of Dave Domina trying to get Tony Palmer. He's another TransCanada executive who was there, trying to get Palmer to talk about what would happen after the company stops using the pipeline if it's built. So let's hear that, that piece of questioning. Do we have to clean up TransCanada's abandoned pipeline? Object, Your Honor. Uh, to, the extent he's not to the extent he is not referring to leaks and spills. And I'm not. And easement terms and viability of the pipeline, economic viability of the pipeline. The commission has previously ruled those issues are not before it. So any question that begins to approach those topics comes with all those caveats, that that's not something the, the PSC is going to consider in this case. Right, right. Um, and other than that, uh, Dave Domina, representing the landowners, was really putting forward a really aggressive line of questioning uh, to these TransCanada witnesses. Right. Uh, he was asking Palmer about uh, a statement that uh, a TransCanada vice president made in a conference call on June 28th, July 28th, uh, that they won't decide until later this year whether or not to go ahead with the project once they find out what the Nebraska decision is, and once they complete a, uh, an attempt to lure new customers, because as the price of oil has dropped, some of the customer base has dropped away as well. I, I have a question for you. The, the, Dave Domina was dominating the, the questioning for uh, the pipe, but there, there were also these sort of second stringer attorneys that were uh, asking questions throughout. Who, who do they represent in all of this? Well, I'm not sure they would consider themselves second stringers, <laughs> but uh, they, they represent, uh, for example, um, uh, 
there are attorneys representing the Ponca tribe of Nebraska and the uh, uh, Yankton Sioux, and uh, they are primarily concerned with um, cultural resources, what happens if uh, during the construction of the pipeline uh, you run across uh, Native American remains or artifacts. And so the experts that TransCanada had up on the first day were not prepared to address that. So I expect those folks will uh, become more active as those TransCanada actually has a cultural resources person who's going to be testifying. Right. Right. So there, there were like five tables with different groups of interveners represented by different attorneys who may have more or fewer questions depending on who's on the stand at any given time. Right. And another example is that the uh, the unions of people who... Right. They didn't have many questions. They, they didn't today, but, but uh, they want the pipeline built because it means jobs for their members. So I expect that they will be more active later as well. Now, one question was uh, to, to uh, Tony Palmer was if they don't build the Keystone pipeline, but even after they're hypothetically given permission to build it, could they sell the the route, basically. Um, and at first, when he was asked about that, he didn't have a real yes or no answer, but then he came back later. After the lunch break, uh, he was asked similar questions by the TransCanada attorneys, and he was much more positive in his responses. Uh, you were also asked a question today about if selling the route was an option. I don't think, I don't think you answered it, so I'd like to ask again. Do you consider selling the route an option? No, we do not consider selling the route an option. Um, well, that was just one of the uh, expert witnesses today, um, that TransCanada executive. We also had uh, the construction manager for the project, and then uh, Ernie Goss, um, an economist with Creighton University, and he's done some economic analysis um, on the pipeline, Bill? Yeah, Ernie Goss's uh, study is what gets cited the most for economic impact within Nebraska. There, there are a couple of other uh, national figures out there, especially from the U.S. State Department impact statement. But, but Goss's study is both what uh, TransCanada and pipeline supporters put forward uh, as being the source of, of the uh, $580 million in direct construction spending by TransCanada, the number of jobs at 5,500 uh, uh, per year, overall economic impact in Nebraska, 1.8 billion in overall economic activity in Nebraska. What, what Dave Domina set out to do was not so much as directly challenge any of those numbers, since there isn't a, a competing study per se out there, but to act to really try and chip away at uh, the methods used by um, Mr. Goss in putting the study together, and and he he got some some fairly significant concessions about the the source of some of the numbers uh, that they may not have have had they had the true academic strength that it wasn't a peer reviewed uh, piece of of research by any means. And uh, there, it, it got a little, a little testy. And uh, yeah, he uh, asked him, "Would you submit this paper for peer review?" And he said, "Well, probably not. <laughs> no. That it would, that it would have to go through uh, uh, some more, more rigorous uh, uh, academic research in order to reach that level." Um, I, I think one of the, one of the more interesting things that uh, I, I had gone through the, the Goss report 
previously, and uh, something that, that Dave Domina pointed out was that, that there's a like a, a seventy million dollar uh, figure assigned to uh, the economic impact in pipeline uh, uh, service is what they called it, and and Mr. Domina pointed out that that you know half that amount it was in a footnote that a lot of people missed. Uh, that half of that 70 plus million dollars was just going to attorneys, wasn't going to the welders and the pipe fitters and the, and the like. And, and that's, a, that's a pretty startling number that, that something like 35 million dollars is, is for regulatory issues and another five million for, for public relations uh, related to TransCanada. So uh, uh, at the same time, uh, you know, the, the, the job figures still haven't really been challenged other than those jobs which occur after construction and uh, the most reliable sources for those, especially from the State Department report, is that there there will be almost no jobs after the pipeline, a or, uh, just a handful. It's, it's a negligible impact. Hmm. Uh, a few. Let's go over a few other quick things that we learned uh, through today. Um, Number one, Fred, would the pipeline carry anything other than oil? That was a question that some landowners had. Right. Uh, and what they are primarily concerned about is whether it could be converted to be used for transporting water from the Ogallala Aquifer to other states. And uh, the TransCanada executive who was asked that said, uh, no, that was not their intention. And there, was, there were questions about what it would cost TransCanada to remove the pipeline if they need to, and they don't know. Right. They said they haven't studied that or come up with an estimate of what it would cost uh, and that they're not necessarily going to remove it. Um, one option is to leave it in the ground and fill it with an inert gas and uh, just leave it there. Huh. Uh, and lastly, one question was, would TransCanada apply for big tax breaks through the Nebraska Advantage Act? Right. Uh, the uh, opponents uh, maintain that uh, while TransCanada uh, says there's going to be all this tax revenue coming to the state and to localities uh, in terms of property taxes, uh, their interpretation of the uh, Nebraska Advantage Act is that uh, those could be uh, uh, negated for up to 10 years if, uh, if TransCanada applied. TransCanada said it would not apply for Nebraska Advantage Act uh, benefits. Um, so we're recording this about 6 p.m. on Monday. Testimony is actually not done for the day. It could go as late as 9 p.m. tonight. Uh, but what's happening next uh, in terms of the, the questioning, Fred? Well, there's four more TransCanada experts to testify and be grilled. And then uh, after that, it's the uh, landowners and the environmental groups and uh, farther down the line, the uh, Native Americans and the labor groups. Well, uh, we'll hear more about that tomorrow. This is just day one of this Public Service Commission hearing on Keystone XL. Day two is tomorrow, and Ben Bohall and Ariana Brocious of NET News will be here to cover it on this podcast. On the line, Keystone in Nebraska. Be sure to subscribe to keep these episodes coming directly to you or keep coming back to netnebraska.org slash keystone. And you can stream the podcast there or look over our daily coverage and look back at past stories we've done on Keystone XL. Again, for Bill Kelly and Fred Knapp, I'm Grant Gerlock of NET News. We'll be back to talk more about Keystone tomorrow.